Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. On our program is Ron Price. He is the CEO and founder of Price Associates, a consulting firm that helps leaders ignite transformation in the people and organizations that they serve. He is also an author, speaker, and leadership consultant and executive coach, and a member of the National Speakers Association, the Institute of Management Consultants, and a consultant in good standing at the Hartman Institute at the University of Tennessee. And the one person on the planet I think who's flown more miles than I have. It says here in your notes, Ron, that uh, that you've fl- flown well over a million miles. So you must be uh, up for some uh, for some punishment in, in dealing with our, our travel industry today. But welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. You make me tired just listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot accomplished in the short time you've been around. So we know you're not sitting around wondering what to do next. Yeah, well, life is fun. Yes, it is. So, Ron, just tell our audience pretty quickly uh, your background in in the work that you're doing. Well, Jim, I I have a a pretty typical uh, middle American upbringing. I think I started selling seeds as my first uh, venture into business when I was maybe eight or nine years old. And uh, from that, I graduated to working for my dad, who ran a tire store. He focused on retreading truck tires, and I can remember being 12 on Saturdays, and I got paid 25 cents for every tube that would hold air. Uh, so it was my job to find out why the tubes weren't holding air, get them fixed, and if I could prove to my dad that they weren't losing air, then I got paid. Uh, that, that eventually, as I moved through my high school years and, and after school, uh, eventually led into me buying into his business, and we had uh, four franchises across the state of Michigan where we manufactured truck tires. My wife says I had a much bigger chest back then because I was throwing around these 100-pound tires all the time, and I don't do that much anymore. But oddly enough, in that kind of a blue-collar type business, I fell in love with the idea of how you organize people in order to get things done and how you work together as a team. And and that eventually led me to having an interest in uh, studying for the ministry. So I studied for uh, the lay ministry, and I was ordained as a lay minister in 77, and I, for some reason, my life has gone through these different chapters. I, I, I went from owning, uh, co-owning these businesses with my dad. I sold out my, my uh, stock in those companies and did about nine or ten years of full-time church work, again, focusing on how do you organize people around their strengths and how do you help organizations be more productive, be more effective. And that eventually led to me being invited to serve as an executive uh, with a company in Idaho that was selling nutrition products. And I was fortunate to get started in that company early in its uh, life and uh, had the chance to become the president of that company and help it grow in eight different countries over a period of uh, 11 years. And it was wonderful because I loved developing people. The financial part of it is very important to me as well. And fortunately, this company was always doing well. It was always profitable. And it, it really freed me up to 
focused on how do we help to develop our people and help them to keep getting better and better. And what was so exciting about that experience for me was being able to do it in multiple cultures, in multiple languages, in multiple countries. And I did that until 2000 and then uh, concluded that I had done a lot of the good work that I could do there and that if I stayed there, I would probably just be over-polishing the apple. And so I uh, let them know that I was going to be retiring. And after leaving there, uh, I recognized again how much I enjoyed helping organizations grow and decided to hang my shingle out as a consultant. And so Price Associates uh, was born and has developed since then. And I love helping leaders fulfill the visions that they have for their organization. And what year was uh, Price and Associates formed then? Well, I played around with another business after leaving uh, this other company in 2000. So we officially launched Price Associates in 2004. And uh, we've grown now to seven consultants that work on projects consistently. And then we have another eight or ten consultants that we use on an ad hoc basis based on what projects we're working on. You've been around for some time in the business community and served in many different capacities. When I have someone on this program with your experience, the question that begs to be asked is, have you ever seen anything like what we're going through right now? And what's the difference between past recessions and this one? Uh, great question. And um, I, the first one's easy for me to answer. Uh, the second one I will, I will claim not to be an expert, but do the best I can. Uh, the first question, I have not seen anything like what we're going through now. Um, I have been through a lot of recessions in my business career. And uh, this one is so interesting uh, because of the magnitude of it and because of what I would call the systemic nature of it. And I don't think that we understand all of the implications or the ramifications of it yet. It's a very interesting time. And I know there's an old Chinese curse, actually. It's not a blessing. It's a curse that says, may you live in interesting times. And I always chuckle when I use that word, but I haven't been able to come up with a better word to use. And I don't really think in the big scheme of things that, as this is being an overly negative time. Actually, there's so many positives about what's happening right now uh, that I'm, I'm probably more invigorated, more engaged and excited now than I was a year ago because of what's happening. So the, your second question is, how is this different from other recessions? I think it's because it's, it's the, the, the order of magnitude and the degree to which it's a systemic adjustment that's taking place is what's uh, much more dramatic. And I think because of that, the way it's impacting people's psyche may be going deeper than what we've experienced around 2000, 2001 during the dot-com bust or early in the 90s or back in the 80s. I can still remember stand, I, I can still remember waiting in line to get gas in my car back in the recession that was hitting us in the 80s. So we haven't had that happen yet where uh, gas is being rationed. But at the psychological level, I think in some ways this is a, a much deeper recession that we're going through because it's challenging a lot of people's basic assumptions and their their fundamental uh, places that they get security from. And that can be good and it can be it, it can be bad as well. I, I think there's actually a lot of positives in us being stirred up and having to rethink about what we do and why we do it and what matters most to us. Ronnie, your expertise as being a leadership consultant and executive coach given what's going on, what's the one piece of advice that you're giving executives right now? Well, if there was one piece of advice, there pro it's pro 
hard for me to say just one because I look at each situation based on what their context is, what their circumstances are. But the one thing I find myself coming back to over and over and over again <clears throat> is that it's, it's never has there been a more important time to understand what you are best at and how that relates to the environment that we're working in today. And it's the relationship. I like to say it's the dance between our strengths and the current circumstances that dictates how we respond to the music. And, and um, the, the businesses, the leaders of organizations that do a good job of that analysis can take what looks like a lot of lemons and turn it into lemonade. Or it's, I, I think there's a new book out. I haven't had a chance to read it, but I've had a few people recommend it to me called from lemons to margaritas. I think that's one step beyond lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that if you can understand what you're really, really good at and how it relates to these circumstances, that this is nothing but a time of great opportunity. Okay, our guest is Ron Price. And Ron, as you work with your clients, is there one particular issue that they're all faced with? And if so, what advice are you giving them right now? struggling with the most is what I would refer to as risk management. Uh, none of us want to take foolish risks, and yet if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be an effective salesperson, if you're going to do anything meaningful, you have to take wise risks. You have to take intelligent risks. And a risk is where you put something out with anticipation or hope that you're going to get a return on the investment that you've made further down the road. And I, I firmly believe that, the, that one of the fundamental principles that makes capitalism work and makes our free enterprise system work is a willingness to give before you get. Sometimes you're giving your energy. Sometimes you're giving your focus, your time. Other times you're giving your money. But the, the biggest problem that I see executives having right now is that the old assumptions that they used for how they measured risk don't seem to be giving them the level of security anymore that they, that they were accustomed to. And so they're having to rethink uh, how they manage their risk. And, and it's, a, it's a really serious mistake to think the best way to manage your risk is to quit risking, to just go into hiding and wait for this economic turmoil to pass us by, because some of the greatest opportunities are hidden in the midst of this whirlwind. And it's, it's having uh, the right balance of risk assessment and risk commitment that is that I see is the biggest challenge most executives are wrestling with right now. And it's, it doesn't matter whether it's a small business or it's a multi-billion dollar business. They're all having to ask this question about how do I think about risk in today's environment? Well, Ron, let's talk about that for a second because I'm sure you run across a group of people who understand that it's risky out there and they need to make uh, good choices and minimize that risk. And then you have the other people who I consider, they, they would say, honker down and and uh, they're going to try to ride out that storm in hopes that things are going to get better. And this is definitely one of the storms I'm not, I don't think you're going to be able to ride out. So in, in your observation and working with these leaders of companies, what's the difference between the ones who keep pushing ahead in spite of the adversity and try to figure it out and the ones who tend to want to hunker down and expect to ride this out? Well, Jim, a lot of it has to do with their basic decision-making style. Uh, and and I, I think you know because we both work in this area of looking at how people make decisions and what motivates them and how they respond to problems. 
that you can predict the way people are going to respond to things. And so the people I'm working with a lot of times, I know immediately just by looking at their behavioral style or what motivates them or, or their thinking patterns, I can quickly ascertain how they're going to approach risk. But having said that, I, I don't think that the style is so important as the context that we're looking at because our, our style may or may not be in good alignment with the kind of leadership that we're being asked to exercise in this current set of circumstances. And so the thing I want to look at first is I want to look at their balance sheet. I, the first thing, I'm when I'm working with an entrepreneur or a leader, I, or even if I'm working with a salesperson and, and we're talking about how they're approaching risk, I want to look at their balance sheet because a thin balance sheet, which means that they don't have much liquidity, and that, that would mean that they, they may not have much money in the bank or they might not have much in the way of receivables or inventory. So what we would refer to as their current assets are pretty low and their liabilities, their current liabilities are relatively high. If, that's, if they have a thin balance sheet like that, there's a completely different way I think they ought to be approaching risk than people who have a fat balance sheet where they have a lot of resources. One of our clients has something like $300 million in the bank right now. And then we have other clients that are sometimes struggling to meet payroll. So the way that they each handle risk really should be treated differently, regardless of what the natural style is of the person leading those organizations. So, so um, I have different strategies based on what their circumstances are. On our program, we had Bob Salert, who is the chairman of Saatchi & Saatchi, who's come out with a new book called Start With The Answer. And interesting in having Bob on our program, he has a chapter devoted to this. And when you listen to the interview, you pick up on this pretty quickly, that part of Bob's strength of leading several multi-million, you know, million, if not billion-dollar companies, and several of them being international, is Bob had a really good understanding of who he was and what his strengths are and, and what he was capable of doing. When you work with executives, what tools do you use to get these leaders to understand what their strengths are? Well, I start off with a, a tool that, that you're already familiar with uh, that we call the Trimetric System. It's a talent assessment that helps me to look at three different angles or three different pictures of those executives. Uh, it first takes a look at how they respond to the environment around them, what their behavioral style is, and that tells me how they respond to problems, whether they tend to jump into problems and want to solve them quickly, and they tend to be more of a ready-fire executive, or whether they're more deliberate and cautious and they're more of a ready-aim, aim, aim type of executive. It also shows me how they interact with people, uh, whether they use more emotion for trying to influence people or they use more uh, data to try to influence people. It shows me how they respond to the pace of change, which is really important to understand in these current times. Some people love a lot of change. They actually get energized by change, and other people are troubled by and want to slow down the process of change. And then it shows me how they respond to rules, procedures, systems. And, uh, again, some people really embrace those things and enjoy them, and other people would rather be a lot more creative and more of a free spirit. So I'm first looking at all of this as a description of their behavioral style. Then I'm taking a look at what are the motivators that drive them. I like to refer to them as their artesian well. Because an artesian well is, is when you find an artesian well, it has its own pressure. You don't need to install a pump to bring the water out of an artesian well. It has its own pressure to cause the water to come flowing. So I call that inside-out motivation. It's, you, can't, you can't stop it. It's, it's going to be there regardless. 
and I want to understand what that is for them because it's different for different people. For some executives, it's the desire to make money. For others, it's, it's that they're constantly wanting to learn new things, or others are driven by this altruistic drive to help others. And so there's a whole variety of motivations that I'm looking at through one of these pictures that we get in the trimetric system. And then last of all, I'm looking at how they make decisions, how they, how they make snap judgments or Research has shown us that well over 90, some people say over 99% of the decisions we make on a day-to-day -day basis are made at the subconscious level, not at the conscious level, meaning that we don't consciously and deliberately think through a decision-making process. We just get to quick answers. And so I want to look at how they, do, how they do that. In a way, I want to look at what their underlying operating system looks like. So we start by looking at that that we see in the trimetric system. And our first step with an executive is to have a dialogue about what we see and to confirm or refine the picture that we get through this trimetric system and to help them go to a deeper level of knowing who they are. And then we're hoping that through that process that they're also crossing the bridge from knowing who they are to fully embracing who they are because we can build tremendously on anybody's natural talent patterns if they embrace them. Where we get into a struggle is, is if we show somebody what their natural talent patterns are and they say, well, that's not who I want to be. Well, now there's going to be conflict because they're trying to be somebody they're not, and we're never going to be able to get the best out of them. Uh, so this, this system we're hoping helps them to not only see and understand themselves at a deeper and clearer level, but also to embrace that and to recognize the, the benefit, the goodness in their natural talent pattern. And then once, we, once we've gotten to that point in our discussions, we're saying, okay, now how can we build on it? How can we create it? Create, how, how can we create more strength? How can we create more capability out of these natural talents that we see within you? And finally, how do we express it? How do we implement it or, or give it away to others? How do we make it impact others' lives or impact your business results, impact what it is you're trying to accomplish? So. It's a very cathartic type of experience for the executives that we work with, um, but it always leads them to having a sharper, more focused picture of where they want to go as an executive and where they want to take their companies as well. And Ron, one of the reasons people hold off making the tough decisions they have to make right now is they want to avoid conflict. And you and I have talked about how that was a personal issue for you and how you overcame that. So share with our audience out there who may be struggling with the same issue of wanting to avoid conflict and putting off decisions because of that, how did you make conflict your friend? Well, I, I think um, it was as I began to recognize that sometimes the harder things that we go through in life are treasures in disguise. And, and it, it began early for me, Jim, uh, by working under some poor leaders, and I have to tell you, my dad wasn't one of those. My dad, uh, turning 85 this year, he's still inventing. He, he, he was in the tire business. He eventually developed some inventions that were meaningful in the tire business, retired, I don't know, tw at least uh, 20 years ago, and he's still going down into his shop in the basement inventing things today. So he's been a wonderful example for me. But I have worked for and served under leaders that created conflict in me. There was something about the way they led that bothered me. It was either that they weren't uh, caring, that, that I saw duplicity, that I saw a lack of ethics, 
that I thought insensitivity. There were, there were negative things. And one day I began to recognize that they were actually teaching me that what I was experiencing under their leadership was in some ways even more impactful to me than some of the things I learned from good leaders because they were building a deep conviction in me that I don't want to be that way. They were building a deep conviction in me that I want to be careful that I'm not duplicitous, that I don't talk one way and, and behave another, or that I'm not unethical, or that I am uncaring about people, that I, I become insensitive to what's happening with uh, somebody's family who's one of our employees or whatever. So I think that was the first place I began to recognize it. As I started to explore that idea, I began to see that everywhere you see friction, it's actually an opportunity in disguise. And then I read a book that a lot of uh, leaders have read, a, a lot of people who are successful in business have read by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. And I, I actually resisted reading that book for years because it sounded to me like it was sort of a, a way to uh, put mind over matter or it was just some way to manipulate people to get wealthy. And it, it, it was off-putting to me. And I finally decided it was such a classic, I at least ought to read it so I knew how to criticize it. And I read it, and, and instead of criticizing it, I began to recognize that I'd made a misjudgment about what was between the covers of that book. And one of the ideas that Napoleon brought out that has become a terrific management tool for me for 20, 25 years now is he said every problem or adversity has contained within it a seed of equivalent or greater benefit. And that was such a wonderful statement for me to think about because a seed does nothing unless you do something with it. And I began to recognize that if I don't look for the opportunity and problems, it's just dormant. It's there. The potential for life is there, but it's dormant. Nothing ever happens. I have to do something with a seed. I have to plant it, water it, protect it, weed around it. And I began to recognize that all these problems or adversities that came in my life, instead of being curses, they were actually blessings. Because every one of them, at the very minimum, had a lesson for me to learn. And most of the time, they were a new opportunity for me to be successful in what mattered most to me in building my business. And as I caught wind of that, that has become the anchoring statement for me when it comes to, to thinking about how to deal with conflict, that every problem or adversity has contained within it a seed of equivalent or greater benefit. And that, I, I think that gives you a little bit of an insight, Jim, into why I think that this economic turmoil that we're going through is such a wonderful time. Because we got problems everywhere we turn. <laughs> and I'm saying, man, I've got so many seeds now, I don't know what to do with all of them. Yeah, there was a great quote I heard the other day that said, uh, never let a crisis go to waste. Yes, yeah. Actually, I think uh, Rahm Emanuel was yes. credited with that in the Obama administration, but it was not original with him. It actually preceded him, and it, I don't recall right now who it was that first stated it, but he was borrowing somebody else's wisdom. So, Ron, thank you for being on our program, and we have enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com, or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.